for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. So we are at the center point of Missions Month here in at New Vision Christian Center. So there are five Sundays in October because of the way the calendar falls. And Pastor Kevin preached first two Sundays. I'm here in the middle, and then you're going to have two more uh, missionaries coming in the next two weeks. Two very good friends of mine. Love them to death. Wish I could be here for that. Um, but we've entitled the month Neighbors and Nations. Pastor Kevin talked last week about one word, the word love. That if we could see the world through the eyes of God, which means the eyes of love, then we will look at our neighbors and the nations differently. Two weeks ago, it was how we see the people around us is how we will think about the people around us. And that will move us ultimately to having eyes of love. This morning, I want to, I'm going to say drill down. I want to talk about the the intersection between neighbors and nations and talk to you this morning about a very specific mission field, our nation, the United States of America. Now, when I say mission field, most of likely your mind goes to distant countries and faraway lands and exotic places. Most people don't think of our nation as a mission field. But do you realize that the United States of America is the third largest mission field in the world, only behind India and China? We have an estimated 250 million people in our nation who do not have an active, ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that, this this staggered me when I read this, that 60% of all of the pornographic material that is produced in the world, the whole world, 60% is produced and distributed from the United States of America. Did you know that there is a growing population of Americans who do not have even the most basic knowledge or understanding of the Bible, the scriptures, of the gospel? They're biblically illiterate, I guess would be a word. And then there's also a growing segment of Americans that have had an inaccurate or inadequate representation of the gospel and also had an experience within the church world that has turned their hearts away from the gospel that now hopefully they're still agnostic, like maybe there's a God out there somewhere, but I don't know who he is and he's certainly not that God that I'd heard about all my life, or they're completely atheistic, like there is No, God. I could go on and on about different ways that the United States needs a gospel presence now more than ever. But for the sake of time, let me simply say this. No other nation on the planet better exemplifies Romans chapter 1 than the United States of America. This afternoon... Right after the Chiefs beat, in fact, I was gonna, I'm gonna pray for them in my in my prayer here in a moment. Remind me to, especially the de, the defensive line. <laughs> yes, all, y'all be. I don't know. Somebody told me this week those kind only that only happens with fasting and prayer. So unless you're committed to fast, we we may be in trouble. 
But read Romans chapter 1 this afternoon, especially beginning like with verse 14 or 15, and you will see a picture of the United States. Let me point out just one verse. Verse 21 says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What a description of our nation. Though they knew God in the past, in the founding, in the beginning, there was a, an acknowledgement of the Judeo-Christian God and the Judeo-Christian ethics. Though they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave Him thanks. I'm, I was talking to, I forgot your name, Jim. I was talking to Jim today. I was surprised to find out that dude's 57. He doesn't look 57. Look at that. I hope I look that good. I was talking to Jim earlier, and I was like, I'm, I'll, I'll be 60 in a couple of months. In my lifetime, we have gone, I was born in 60, 1962. In my lifetime, this country has gone from a place where we recognized, acknowledged, and thanked God. God bless America. To a place where we have no longer thanking Him and no longer acknowledging Him. In one lifetime, that has happened. So they knew God, but we didn't glorify Him as God, nor did we give Him thanks. But our thinking became futile and our foolish hearts were darkened. What a description of our nation. And before we point our finger outside at them, we live in this culture. And I suggest to you that this culture has affected you and me more than we would care to think. Amen? So I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else. I'm talking about it's my nation. When I, when I pray over this nation and confess the sins of this nation, I am confessing my own involvement in what is happening. Let, let's get off of that. The result of a nation that lives out Romans 1 is a nation on a trajectory away from God with increasing speed and leaving a path of broken lives and devastated hearts in its wake. Did you know that although the United States has historically in the past been the greatest mission-sending nation in the history of mankind, but over the past 40 years, a new trend has developed. There are now nations around the world who have begun to send missionaries to the United States of America. I have a personal friend. He lives in St. Louis. His name is Mark. I can't never pronounce his name. He's Brazilian, Canario. And he is a Brazilian-born individual. He's ordained with the Assemblies of God in Brazil. The Assemblies of God in Brazil has commissioned him and empowered him and support him to come to the United States of America on a religious visa to be able to work in our city, in St. Louis, to reach people that we are not reaching. Why would the countries of the world be sending missionaries to us? Can I suggest it is because we as individuals and we as churches have failed to see ourselves as missionaries. And subsequently we are failing in our calling and in the Lord's great commission to go and make disciples. That's the problem. I'm going to suggest a solution. Go back to the start and see what it means to begin again. Turn with me to Roman, I'm sorry, to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to just read two very, very short verses, a very brief passage. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. 
while they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, he meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Father, we um, do rejoice this morning in your goodness, not just in a general way, Lord, but specifically in your goodness to each one of us. We're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful for this nation and the freedoms that we have and the, uh, the, the, the culture in which we have grown up where we can live out a faith and grow in a faith with very limited resistance at this point. But Lord, we see a dark time coming and we see things rising in the, the horizon, Lord, that are going to be poised against us as followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that even today, you would begin to prepare us and position our hearts in such a way that we will be standing ready for the future as it unfolds to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, as we look into your word, I ask that you would anoint my words, my heart, my thoughts. May you communicate through me to us as your people. And Lord, we do pray for the defensive line. God, help them to just step forward and do what they need to do. Amen. <laughs> All things. Amen. <laughs> All things. In prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. That's what it says. But anyway, in this passage I just read to you, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we see that uh, Jesus, who had just been baptized by his cousin verses before, he had gone into the desert region and been by himself and be tempted by the devil. He uh, comes out of that season. He begins his public ministry where he is uh, proclaiming that to the people. He's saying, repent and believe that the kingdom of God is come among you. And in the passage that we read, uh, we see Jesus engaging two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and giving them an invitation to what would result in the adventure of a lifetime. Like he, what an, if you have, if, I know you as a church, we as a church have gone through The Chosen, especially uh, uh, episodes or uh, season one and season two. But what a, what a great thing that God has produced through those men and women. Because it gives just this visual of who, I always struggled with, that part of in Matthew and in Mark when Jesus is walking down the street, so to speak, down the sea of that side of the Sea of Galilee, and he calls two people, and those two people just go and follow him. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There, he, there's more to the story. Like, they were, they were looking at him. Something happened before. I've always thought that. And not that it happened what is actually in The Chosen, but they took a, a literary liberty and license to do that, but it just so made it come alive. But when Jesus encountered them that day, he simply says in verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Ten words that turned their lives upside down. There are three things inherent within this statement of invitation. The first one, I'm going to sum up with the word commitment. Jesus said, follow me. When we first, Peter, we first meet Peter and Andrew, they are living out life as they know it on the Sea of Galilee. 
They are fishermen. They are living out and following the direction that life had handed them. Their, parent, their father and probably grandfather were all fishermen. So they're going the direction that they are going. They're following the agenda of their own lives as it had been unfolding. And along comes Jesus with the simple ten-word invitation to follow him. Said another way, and maybe even more simply, he was just saying, come my direction. Just come my direction. And as simple as that sounds, they understood in their time and in their culture that to follow him, to go his direction, would require an incredible commitment. I call it a commitment because it would involve the overall agenda of their lives. If you read the next few verses, Jesus is going on a little bit farther, and he calls James and John the sons of Zebedee. And it says literally that they left their father and the hired fish. They walked away from the small business enterprise that they were involved in. And so I call it a commitment because they understood that it would involve the overall agenda of their life, and that is tough. Now, there were many, if we were in that day and we were watching this unfold in the days and weeks that followed after that, there would be many around who looked like they were following. But can I suggest they weren't following. They were merely observing Jesus. Now, here's the struggle. I'm I'm reaching for my phone (laughs) because my phone's down there. Here's the struggle. If I were to ask my beautiful granddaughter... Wait, that baby's yawning. <laughs> Don't be yawning. I'm putting the babies to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> I caught anyway. As long as David Church isn't yawning, we're in good shape. He's, he's waving. He's with me. If I were to ask my beautiful granddaughter to take out a piece of paper, she's 12 plus one, because I won't let her be a teenager. She could be 14, but she can't be 13. So she's my daughter, my granddaughter's 12 plus one. If I asked her to take out a piece of paper and write down the definition of the word phone, P-H-O-N-E, telephone, phone, she would probably write, well, it's a thing that um, I can listen to music on. It's a thing that I can message my friends, text to my friends, instant message my friends. It's a thing that I can watch videos on. Um, It's the thing that I can play games on. And, and, oh, yeah, I, I can call my friend. Last resort, obviously, if you ask me, what is a phone, the first thing that comes to my mind is what? You make phone calls, right? And you realize that the phone, the the cellular, the phone companies, Sprint, Verizon, T-Mobile, so they, they, just think about this. Um, What, 25 years ago, early 90s, late late 80s, I'm sorry, late 90s, early 2000s, how did they bill? How How were your plans set up? On minutes. Minutes of what? Talk time. And there came a point where they began to see, okay, wait a minute, the phone, this word, this thing that we call phone is, 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 is categorically, systemically changing. We're no longer going to bill people based on the talk minutes, but we're going to bill based on what? Data. So some be unlimited data, maybe unlimited, but it slows down at a certain point. Because they understood that the word phone has changing meaning. 
And so when I say phone, I ha- I, it, it means something to me. When these young ladies say phone, it means something completely different. Can I suggest the same thing is true? And we need to be, and what my point is this on the, on, the, on the first part of this message is this, the word follow has changed meaning. For my granddaughter, if I say to follow someone, what does it mean? Maybe it's Instagram. Probably not Facebook for her, but you know, some, somewhere or another that I've clicked on something, that, that I've attached a little bit of something, that I can observe what's happening in their life. I follow them. I follow their trends. I follow their activities. I can see where they're going, what they're doing, what's for lunch, all those types of things. But follow is a very distant thing. It's a very non-committal thing. I can unfollow my friends or I can follow my friends, and there's a very small line between that. In Jesus' day, the word follow was a commitment, a commitment of time, a commitment of presence, a commitment of energy, a commitment of sacrifice. It was a commitment. It was a com- and, and it is in that commitment to follow, truly follow him, that they began learning about him and from him. I would say that there's no way that on that level of following, there's no way that they could follow him without learning about him and from him. It has to happen. If they weren't learning about him and from him, then they were probably just observers. God's call to us, God's God's invitation to us as we start again, we begin again. God's invitation to us is to follow him, to make that commitment to follow him. Now the first question you may have in your mind is, yeah, cool, but... It's different than the disciples because they could literally, physically follow him and learn about him and from him. But can I suggest that the Bible reveals to us that we have everything we need to follow Jesus in the same dimension. We have his word, we have his spirit, and we have his people. And I'm going to get back to that in just a little bit. I said this before, I said this a minute ago, but I'm going to reiterate it. If I'm following, truly following, biblically following, I'm learning. If I'm not learning, I'm not following. I may think I'm following, but the truth is I may still be more committed to my own path and purposes, my own agenda for my own life than I am in following the path and purposes of Jesus. Allow me to paraphrase. I'm going to read it, for this, but I'm just going to paraphrase for the sake of time a paragraph from C.S. Lewis, one of the, my favorite authors, great author, out of a book called Present Concerns. He says this, There are three kinds of people in the world. The first kind is those who simply, or I'm sorry, the first kind is those who live simply for their own agenda. First, The second kind are those who acknowledge God's claim upon their lives and try to pursue their own interests no further than that claim will allow. They try to surrender to God as much as he demands, like men paying taxes, but hope, like other taxpayers, that there is left over there, that what is left over will be enough for them to live on. Their life is divided like a schoolboy's life into time in school and out of school. But in the third kind of person, 
are those who can say like this, like St. Paul, that for them to live is Christ. These people have gotten rid of the tiresome business of adjusting the rival claims of self and God by rejecting the claims of self altogether. The old will has been turned around, reconditioned, and made into a new thing. The will of Christ no longer limits theirs. It is theirs. All their time in belonging to him belongs also to them, for they are his. That's powerful. I'll put that up on the Facebook page just because you want to read that like three or four times because Lewis writes, he was writing in the 50s, and it's hard for some of us to quite grasp that, but what a powerful thing. I'm going to go back just for a moment to the thought of the three things we have that we need, that we have and that we need to follow Jesus. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. It is clearly communicated that a biblical disciple is committed both to Jesus and to other people, to his disciples. What I'm meaning is this, we're not meant to follow Jesus alone. We have a saying of the people that I run around with that any day that something happens that doesn't happen every day is a day that we need to debrief with the people of God. Now here's what I mean by that. Every day that something happens that doesn't happen every day. We had a family in a car accident flipped the car, a couple of them went to the hospital, nobody died, thank God. One kid we thought was about, you know, it looked like it was tough, but then he, he pulled through. But that, so any day that something happens that doesn't happen every day, a car accident, then we needed to get together with them and talk about that. And not just so they could express their feelings, but to say, okay, like, what is God saying to you? And what are your emotions? And, and how are you processing this? And what, you know, how are you, what, what's going on? And how is God engaged in this? Here a while back, somebody, one of our guys, Ryan, got this great promotion at work. And actually, someone tried to, it was a friend of ours, the, 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 your pastors know them. Um, he, he got this great promotion at, at work, and, and um, he works in the financial industry. And there were actually two companies vying over him, and he, he wasn't like, like playing the game. He was just letting them know, hey, I'm like, this is happening. And, and so the other company said, well, we'll do this for you. And then the other company said, hey, well, we'll do this and something else. And this company, so like, boy, man, one week, like his whole world changed in such a good way financially. But that day, those days, something's happened that didn't happen every day. You don't have every day where a company is fighting over you, right? So we got together and we talked about it. What does this mean? What is God saying? How do you react? How do you respond? How do you learn from Jesus and the things you're going through? You're going to be making more money. What about if it takes more time out of your day and so that your family, is that going to suffer? And so we processed all of those things together. And so when we are following Jesus and committed to Jesus and we commit ourselves to share life and live life with others, that's what I mean by we grow in, and we can, see, that's how you follow Jesus. That's the way that he, when following him, we learn from him. Not just getting together on Sundays in a gathering such as this. I'm talking about sharing life together, putting our lives out before one another, praying with one another, bearing one another's burdens, sharing our authentic hearts with one another. Follow me, Jesus said, and it requires a commitment. The next thing inherent within Jesus' statement of invitation is what I'm going to call a change. 
Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. Being a biblical disciple is being formed by Jesus. The question we must ask when following Jesus, first point, commitment, the question we must ask when following Jesus is, what am I supposed to learn? The question we must ask to be changed by Jesus is, what am I to do with what I have learned in following him? How do I apply what I am learning to my life? Sometimes we know immediately what God is saying. We know immediately what needs to change, what I need to bring into my life, what I need to push away from my life, what I need to emphasize, or what I need to de-emphasize. We begin to understand those things so quickly. And as I said earlier, those who are around us, as we dig into the Word deeper, when God starts speaking to me, that I'm going to study the Scriptures around that. If He's talking to me about peace... And I need to have more peace. Then I'm going to get into the Word and I'm going to ask the Spirit, Lord, help me to understand what does your peace mean and how does that peace apply to my life so that it affects not only my life but my children's lives. Not only my children's lives but my neighbor's life. Not only my neighbor's life but my work life. How do I apply those things? How do I live out the things that I am learning by following you, my growing in you? A minute ago I said if you're following you're learning. If you're not learning, you're not following. Let me take that a step further. If you're learning, step one, you're changing. If you're not changing, you're not learning. Does that make sense? If you're not learning, you're not following. It's a process. We follow him and we learn about him and from him. And then by the, the power, the process of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through the Word and the Spirit and His people, that what we learn begins to infiltrate our lives, begins to be applied to our lives. We begin to flesh it out. We try to make it a habit into our lives where it becomes second nature. How many of you in the last year, I'm going to give you a lot of time so we can make sure this is good. How many in the last year have thanked God for oxygen, the air. I haven't. I was thinking about this in worship. She might have heard me talking to the Lord about it because it was really God, His goodness to me. I'm thinking, man, you're so good to me, I don't even realize how good you are. I take so many things for granted. And in fact, it's an involuntary um, uh, a life, I can't even what you call it, involuntary muscle, but an involuntary system within me that I breathe without thinking about it consciously. My brain is wired in such a way that I just know I don't have to think about the next breath. I don't have to be wondering, is it going to be there? Is it not going to be there? Do I need to do so? Because God is so generous with what he gives me that I don't even have to think about the, the air that I breathe. And so as we live our lives in following him, the things that he is speaking to us, the things that, so it, so it has become, we've become so used to, I have become so used to God's faithfulness that I can operate, and that's just a part of my life. When I've truly learned something in, in following Jesus, then it becomes so much a part of my life that I don't have to think about that so much anymore. I can move forward in the things that God is calling me and inviting me closer to. So number one is, a call, is, is an invitation to make a commitment 
in following him. Number two, it is an invitation to change. I will make you. And then number three, the last inherent, the last thing inherent within Jesus' statement of invitation is a call. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And this is really where I want to, I'm not going to talk long, but this is the point of all that we're saying in the midst of missions month, in the intersection of neighbors and nations. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. The purpose of following is learning. The purpose of learning is changing. The purpose of changing is so that we can join Jesus and be effective with him in his mission. To be a disciple means to follow. To be a disciple means to learn. To be a disciple means to be on mission with Jesus. What is the mission of Jesus? It was to be a bridge between the kingdom of God and the people of this world in his day and time for the purpose of their salvation and restoration. Just Of all that I just said, just remember the word bridge. His mission was to be a bridge. The Bible uses the word mediator in other places. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus' mission was to be the bridge between the people of the world and the kingdom of God. What does it mean for us to be on mission, to join him in mission? It simply means we are now and called to be the bridge or the connection between the kingdom of God and the people of our world. We are that bridge that people should be crossing, sometimes back and forth in order to really understand and, and, and get their, their hearts and minds wrapped around that. I asked Pastor Kevin right before service, and he cut me off before I could even finish my statement because we've been together a long time. I said, here's my, I, I said, uh, uh, I said, hey, can I, can I, what did I say? I, I said, I want to, I said, would, would it be all right if I do something? He said, no. <laughs> I said, no, wait a minute. I said, is it, would it be all right if I, if, if we, if I called December, so that's a month and a half from now, if I called December informally and unofficially, I'm going to call it bring a church, bring a friend to church month. Okay. Not going to be a big. You're not going to probably hear much more about this. I don't know what will happen towards the future, but I'm I'm declaring December bring a friend to church month. Let me let me let me let me back that up just a little bit. Bring someone to church month. How's that? Okay. But here's the here's the, here's the um, I want to say caveat, but I don't know what that word means. Um, I'm going to say it, and you'll know. Here's the caveat in that: you can't bring anyone to church that you have not had into your home before December. Okay? We're the bridge. And here's how I want you, here's, here's a suggestion, is you meet someone, you engage with someone, and they're, they're, they're not, they have not a, a life of faith. You understand that. You built, strike some kind of a, of, of a conversation and, and whatever level of relationship with them. And, and then you will invite them into your home for a meal, perhaps. But not only them, but you're going to invite somebody. Like if it was me and I lived here and, and I ran into somebody who, like, loved the Chiefs. And, and they're all about the Chiefs. Right, let me say the Dodgers. How about that? Since you, are you, he's sporting L.A. up here. Okay. So... 
I'm going to invite my friends right here to dinner because they're believers, right? And then I'm, my wife and I are believers. And then I'm going to invite this other couple who I know at least dude over here, he loves the Dodgers too. And so I'm going to invite both of them to come and so that my relationship with this new, these people that I've just met or or known for a long time but never really built a relationship with, I'm going to grow in that. But then also I'm going to bring, be bring, I'm, what am I? I'm the bridge. I might not even like the Dodgers. That doesn't matter. I know this guy, he talked about the Dodgers. And then I know this guy loves the Dodgers. I'm making that up maybe. I don't know. But I know that. So what am I? I'm the bridge between the people of the world and the people of the kingdom. And so as I build a relationship with them, they build a we build a relationship together. Then in December, if and when I can get them to come to church one of those four Sundays. I'm, I'm, it, December's easy, too, because it's Christmas month. If and when they come, they're going to feel a whole, I mean, more than twice as welcome than if they just knew me. Because they don't just know me, but they know me and my wife, and they know this couple. And so when they come in, they have some familiarity. So there's been a bridge that has been built. See, that's, so being on mission with Jesus is not this scary thing that is only for uh, fully committed people and weirdo people. It's just living out our life. Let me say this. Pastor Kevin talked the first two weeks about how we see, how critical it is of how we see the people of the world. I got to see them through eyes of love. How I see them dictates how I think about them. And how important is how I see them. I'm suggesting to you that as critical as that is, It's even more critical or critical in a different dimension. Not how I see the world, but how do I see myself? I I see myself as a missionary. Someone God has invited to a life of following him, of being changed by him and being on mission with him. If I see myself as a missionary, then when every time I step out of the front door or the back door of my house, I realize it becomes ingrained in me that I am stepping into the mission field. This is why I'm alive. This is why I work at this location. This is why I go to school at this institution. This is why I shop at this retail space. This is why I get coffee at this specific coffee shop. This is why I'm going to the light. I am in the mission field. All the other things are just peripheral, supporting my missionary endeavors, if that makes sense. In fact, I would suggest in our day and time that not when I step out the front door, the back door of my home, but when my foot hits the ground, when I step out of bed, even into my own home, especially if I, have young, if I have young people in my house and children in my house, I realize that I'm a missionary to my children. In the truest sense of the word, I'm the bridge between my kids, my children, maybe my in-laws that live with me, maybe whoever lives in my home, I'm a bridge between them and the kingdom of God. And they're going to cross from the world into the kingdom over this bridge as a missionary, as a representative. 
as a minister of reconciliation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God has put this treasure in earthen jars of clay so that we will understand that the all-surpassing power is His. But nonetheless, the treasure is in us. We are the bridge in which God by which God would call people to move from the world to the kingdom. My, my simple cry is this. See yourself as a missionary, as a God-ordained, God-called person to the world in which you live. Being a disciple involves three things, commitment, change, and calling. On mission with Jesus, last slide, I think, or second to the last slide, means one thing, making disciples. Jesus' invitation at the very beginning of our story here, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, was simply, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was the first thing he said, in the scriptures anyway, to Peter and Andrew. You want to know what the last thing he said to Peter and Andrew was? And the rest of the disciples who were following him, it was go and make disciples. What was he saying? Continue my mission. Make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Jesus reached 12. Turned out to 11. Then he added the 12th. And out of that 12, we are here today. Because disciples made disciples disciples. I suggest it's because those followers of Jesus, though they wouldn't have used this word, you won't find this word in the scripture, but those disciples understood and embraced the concept, the privilege, and the responsibility to be missionaries to their culture, missionaries to their place in which they lived. That's my call that's my invitation to you, to see your life completely and totally different, to see it as though God himself has commissioned you as a missionary to the world in which you live, which he has. And I suggest that when you do that, it will revolutionize your life. It will change that mundane tomorrow's Monday. I got to go back to that same job with those same people and do that same thing. God, I can't wait to, to, to retire. I can't wait to a new, I can't. No. Lord, I get to go and be your missionary. There are people that need to know you. It's a dark place in this factory. It's a dark place in this office. It's a dark place in this school. It's a dark place. And I get to be the light that shines. How can you empower me to do that? It will revolutionize your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your salvation. The reality and the truth that I guess Jesus in many ways I would say you were the first missionary. You came into our culture. You dwelt among us. You felt our pain. You lived with our limitations. But you lived out the very presence and the power and the word of God to those around you, to the point that you've reproduced it in them. And in their own ways, with their own inadequacies and failures and weaknesses, Lord, they lived out 
your life. They were the bridge in their time and their place between your kingdom and the people of this world. What I'm asking, Lord, for our lives is that we could just wrap our minds around that. That you would change the way we see ourselves. And it humbles us. Lord, I guess at the same time it makes me humble and it makes me proud that you would call me to the mission field of this world. Wherever I find myself, Lord, is where you want me to be, doing what you want me to be doing. Lord, I pray over this house of people and over the folks that are watching this online right now and and, and into the future that you will um, speak to our hearts about specific individuals, specific couples, families, Lord, that we maybe know now uh, closely or we know at a distance we're acquainted with. Lord, lay someone on our hearts. Bring them to our mind. May they pop up in our thinking and help us to understand those are people that you are inviting us to be your representative to. Lord, what I said about December, may it not just be a passing thought, but may it be an assignment from heaven to engage someone in the world around us, not just with myself, but with the people of God, to see them become a part of the community of God through faith in Jesus. Lord, I praise you for today and all that you are doing. I know that I know that I know that as individuals make this shift in thinking and begin to figure out what it means to be a missionary to their world, I know that there will be pushback. I know that the enemy of our soul, the enemy of this world, will not just wink at it, but there will be a battle. There will be warfare. So, Lord, I'm praying over them now that as they begin to move forward and experiencing the the pushback of the darkness, Lord, against the light that is their lives, I ask, God, that you will surround them with fellow believers that can encourage them, that can strengthen them, Lord, that even empower them with their own lives and experience to continue to move forward. God, may we not be dismayed, but may we be encouraged because of the presence of your spirit. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. We're going to go out with worship, if that's all right with you. I don't think I know your name. Haley. Haley. You all know Haley? I just met Haley. Wonderful. And I met some other guy named Jonathan today. Where's Jonathan? I don't know where Jonathan went. I like to meet new people. As we walk out in worship, meet somebody, talk to somebody that you don't know them by name. God bless. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.